Let's go to Yahweh in prayer. Father Yahweh, we come before you. We thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We pray that what we would do during today and and really every day that would be, it'd be pleasing to you, that we, would, that we would always devote our days to you and that we would do what is right in your eyes. Father, help us to always hold true to your word. And uh, Father, we pray a blessing upon this day and upon those here and upon those watching. And we ask all this in the name of your son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it is a uh, blessing to see everybody here. You may be seated. I'd like to uh, extend a greetings to those online. We know there's many watching online and uh, all throughout the uh, country and evidently internationally. So I'd like to extend a uh, greetings to uh, one and all. We know there are very few things more important in this life than for a healthy marriage. You know, I think this is one of the most important things for us as a believer and just as a person. I believe that a good marriage is the foundation of a good family. And a good family is the foundation of a good nation. You know, we also know that marriage was established by Yahweh between one man and one woman for life. And uh, that's what we find within Scripture. We also know that marriage parallels the relationship between Yahshua and the assembly. You know, with this in mind, you know, I think it's so important, again, that we recognize the need for healthy and good marriages. So today I want to share a few tips, a few tips on how we might improve our marriage, things we can do to ensure that we do have a good and healthy and great marriage. Now, before I do that, I want to say that many of the lessons we find within this message are applicable outside of marriage. You know, any relationship can benefit from many of the uh, principles that we're going to be reviewing today. So here are the six tips to a healthy marriage. Number one, husbands are commanded to love their wives as Yahshua loved the assembly. That's number one. And uh, as you'll see, the first two here really focused on the husband. Husbands are to be supportive, and this would include financially, emotionally, and as I note here, most importantly, spiritually. Number three, spouses were, to, were not to show bitterness. Instead, were to be considerate. We're to show mutual respect and reverence toward one another. Number four, we're not to allow anger or strife to take root within our relationships. Number five, we should make sure that our speech is edifying and positive to one another. And number six, last here, is we should always show compassion and forgiveness. You know, as we see here, the first two are focused on the role of the husband. The husband. Yeah, I think it's kind of fitting because we know that the role of the husband is a very important role within the marriage covenant. We know that the marriage covenant within that, that the man is the head of that union as Yahweh has established it. So let's focus now on tip number one. Tip number one, that is husbands are commanded to love their wives as Yahshua loved the assembly. You know, one of my favorite passages regarding marriage is something Paul says in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25 through 29. Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Messiah also loved the assembly and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself at glorious assembly, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, 
So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no, one man, for no man ever hate, yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as a master, the assembly. So here we have the passage by Paul. Now, as a husband, how are we to love our wife? You know, we are told, we are commanded that as a husband, we should love our wife. So how do we do this? We're, you know, really, it's pretty simple. We're to emulate Yahshua the Messiah. We're to do as he did. As Yahshua sacrificed and gave all for the assembly, husbands should do the same for their spouses. Now, how did Yahshua sacrifice for the assembly? I'm going to just take a few moments to consider how Yahshua sacrificed for the assembly and how we might apply that then between the husband and wife. Or number one, and most importantly, we know that he gave his life, life as a ransom for our sins. Yahshua died so that we might have hope for a resurrection to come. Beyond this, what else did he do to sacrifice for the assembly? You know, he gave up the opportunity of a normal life. I don't know if you have really considered that. Yahshua never had a normal life. He was never married. Instead, he chose a life of solitude. Not much is known, but we know that it was a life of solitude. You know, from all evidence, it was a life of simplicity. Some might even say that it was a life of poverty. You know, Matthew 8, Yahshua said that he had no place to even lay his head. Matthew 8. Now, Paul in Philippians 2 speaks another, about another way our Savior sacrificed. He says this of Yahshua in Philippians 2, quote, Being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself. He humbled himself. You know, as our Savior, he gave up so much. He gave up so much of himself for you and I, including, including the preexistence, the time he had with his Father. You know, in John 17, verse 5, Yahshua prayed to the Father right before his death. And he and he said this in his prayer. He said, glorify you me with your own self for the glory which I had with you before the world was. So we see here from Scripture that Yahshua had glory, that he was in a glorified state with the Father prior to coming to this earth. Now try to imagine being with Yahweh in a glorified state and then agreeing to give all of that up to come and die for a people who would largely reject you. And by the way, you're going to die an agonizing death. For this is how Yahshua, I believe, humbled himself. When Paul says that husbands are to love their wives as Yahshua loved the assembly, you know, I believe that this is the love that he's referring to, the sacrifice that we find here with Yahshua. Everything Yahshua did was motivated for the benefit, for the welfare, for the betterment. Of the assembly. Again, it wasn't just him giving his life, it was everything between. It was him agreeing to forsake his glorified state. It was him willing to sacrifice his own welfare, his own wants. It was him willing to die, of course, for the sins of mankind, to give his own life. You know, Yahshua's entire life is an example of what it means to sacrifice for others. Everything he did was to sacrifice for others. And again, we find that the husband should do the same for his wife, for his spouse. That he should have this 
same view of serving and helping and sacrificing. Now, another tip for a healthy marriage is that husbands should be willing to provide for their families. This is an important one. You know, here are three ways we should be providing as a husband. We should be providing financially. We're going to talk about that briefly. Emotionally and also spiritually. You know, I've seen some poor examples from husbands in all three of these points. You know, for example, I've seen some men in the faith that they were just lazy. And they refused to provide and support their families. You know, most men understand that this is not something we should be doing as a believer. You know, the Bible says that if we do not provide for our families, that if we're lazy, that we're worse than an unbeliever says. Now, we also know that most men embrace the thought of physically protecting their family, their wife. You know, most men I know would would, uh, not give a thought to uh, die for their family, to protect their family. You know, but just as we're to provide physically, I believe that we're also to provide another way, and that is emotionally. Now, what does it mean to provide emotionally? You know, for me, this, for me, this means that when our wife is going through some sort of emotional trauma, that we're there to support her. This means that we're willing to understand, willing to, to uh, comprehend, willing to seek out, willing to, again, support and be that rock in those moments of emotional distress. Now, I know for many men, emotionally strong is, <laughs> is not something easy. You know, most men, they, they uh, rather not sometimes focus in on this quality. But, you know, I believe that Joshua was emotionally strong. I believe that Joshua could handle anything, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I believe that as husbands, we should be willing to do the same. Now, the last thing here I want to talk about is being spiritually strong. What does this mean? What does it mean to be spiritually strong as a husband, as a spouse? Well, let me tell you first what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the husband is controlling or domineering. Being spiritually strong does not equate or compute to a man being domineering. This is not spiritually strong. You know, being spiritually strong is knowing and living by Yahweh's word. That's what we find within scriptures. Living the morals, living the principles, living the values that we find and being an example to our families. You know, if they want to know what is right, how should we be living, what should we be doing, you know, we should serve as that example. They should be able to look at us and know what we what they should be doing. You know, we should be the anchor. Now, another tip for a healthy marriage is that we should let go of bitterness and also be considerate, be, uh, show mutual concern, respect, reverence toward one another. You know, we see an example of this in Colossians. Colossians, it says there, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, what does it mean to be bitter? What does it mean to be bitter? Well, this uh, word... Bitter, in the Thayer's Greek lexicon, is defined this way. It says to embitter, to exasperate, to render angry or indignant, to be irritated. You know, what Paul is saying here is that we should not deliberately upset our spouses. We should not deliberately anger our spouse. You know, spouses, do we do those things that promote love? 
Or do we promote anger, resentment, as we find here? You know that Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary had a, had a quote that kind of, kind of um, stuck out to me. It says, many polite abroad are rooted home because they are not afraid there. Now, I'm going to read that one more time, and I want you to consider what this is saying. Many polite abroad are rude at home because they are not afraid there. You know, this quote describes many people, including some believers. There are some people who are very different outside the home. You know, when they're inside the home or outside the home, they are polite, they are considerate, they are thoughtful. But when they're inside the home, sometimes as if, as if it's their, they're a different person, they're mean, they're belligerent, they're short, they're impatient. Now, I think the reason for this in large part is fear. You know, people fear how people may respond in the world. You know, maybe they want to protect their job or protect that relationship in the world or in the workplace. So again, they're considerate. They show respect. You know, the sad reality is though many feel justified or they have nothing to lose being less supportive in the home to their spouse. Now, why is this? Or number one, we normally don't fear our spouse. Number two, we often take them for granted. And this really is something I've seen many, many times over the years. We take them for granted. You know, as a husband and wife, we're never to take granted the relationship we have with one another. We're to recognize the value. We're to recognize the blessings that we have with one another. The fact is, we should be treating our spouse better than those in the world. But how many times do we treat others in the world better than we do our spouse? Scripturally, we should be treating our spouse much, much better. You know, no person should mean more to us than our spouse. They should be number one. They should be our first priority. We should be trying to impress them. We should be looking to do good toward them. This is why Paul says here that we're not to be bitter. You know, as we see in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, we're to show also consideration. We're to show respect to our spouses. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. According to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Notice that last part, by the way. That your prayers be not hindered. So you see, when we do the first part, that our prayers will not be hindered. Our prayers are going to be blessed. So what do we find here? Well, I'm going to consider some of the words Peter uses here. So number one, he says here that we should use knowledge, that we should use knowledge in our marriage. Now, the word knowledge is from the Greek gnosis, gnosis. Now, in the Greek, this means the act of knowing. Just as a side note, the word Gnostic, the heretical sect, comes from Gnosis. Now, in this case, Gnosis refers to the knowledge of Yahweh's word. So we find that when we're with our spouse and within our relationships, we should be using Gnosis or the knowledge of Yahweh's word as a guide. Now, another word I want to focus on is honor. Honor. This comes from the Greek, Timae. Strong's or Thayer's defines this word as, quote, honor which belongs or is shown to one, including deference, meaning respect and, and uh, reverence. 
So Peter conveys here that we should be showing respect, that we should be showing reverence to our spouses. Now, what does it mean to show respect? You know, sometimes we use these words without really understanding the full impact. So what does it mean to show respect to our spouse? Well, let's look at the definition from the Webster's Dictionary. It says, number one, a feeling of admiring someone or something that is good, valuable, or important. So that's one definition of respect. Number two, a feeling feeling or understanding that someone or something is important and should be treated in an appropriate way. And number three, a particular way of looking about, thinking about or looking at something. So that is how the Webster's defines respect. So as a spouse, how do we view our husband? How do we view our wife? You know, do we admire their qualities? Do we admire their character? Do we see them as a person of integrity? Do we see them as supportive to our needs? Do we see them as a person willing to sacrifice for the good of others? Do we see them exhibiting the examples of Yahshua the Messiah and how he lived and what he did? Or do we see them showing a lack of character, showing a lack of integrity? Do we see them as selfish and unsupportive? Do we see them as a person not willing to look for the good of others? Do we see them not fulfilling the examples of Yahshua the Messiah, living a different way, deviating from the examples of our Savior. You know, now, while no one is perfect, hopefully we view our spouses in more of a positive light. You know, hopefully we can say that, yes, my spouse shows me respect. Yes, my spouse shows me consideration. Yes, my spouse shows me that he or she loves me, considers who I am as a person. Now, what about those whose spouses may be more negative? You know, I've seen cases where, even in the faith, where one spouse views the other negatively. You know, something there's no abuse happening. That's one thing I want to kind of clear up is, as believers, we should never allow abuse. But assuming there's no abuse occurring, even here, I believe we should try to show respect and honor. And and hopefully by setting the example, they will see our good works and will be willing to reciprocate, willing to change. Now, Peter again says this specifically to the husbands. He says that we are to honor our wives as unto the weaker vessel, as unto the weaker vessel. Now, weaker here does not mean inferior. I've been in some assemblies who kind of view women that way, and weaker does not mean inferior. It means that Yahweh created men with certain strengths, One of those strengths, I believe, being emotionally, emotionally stronger. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, women are more nurturing. Men are not as nurturing. And there's a reason for that. You know, in the end, marriage is all about using one another's strengths to help and support the other. You know, Yahweh created men and women differently for a reason. And I believe that understanding and embracing these differences is what makes a couple in Yahweh complete. You know, Adam was incomplete without Eve. We can go back and look at the story and see there that something was wrong. Adam knew something was wrong. Of course, Yahweh knew something was wrong. And they corrected that by creating Eve. And I'm sure Eve would have been incomplete without Adam. You know, so as spouses, it's important that we 
learn to show mutual respect, that we show concern and love to one another. Now, another uh, tip to a healthy marriage is forgiveness and a spirit of peace. Forgiveness and a spirit of peace. You know, I don't care who it is. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. I've been around for a few years now, and I've uh, counseled many, many couples over the years. And I can assure you there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. Every marriage has struggles in some level of conflict. It's just the way it is. Now, obviously, some more than others. But saying that, we should all have the same goal, and that is to bring peace in our relationships. You know, how do we bring a sense of peace? How do we bring a sense of shalom to our marriage? And it can be done. You know, Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 4, verse 26. Very short passage here. Paul says, be you angry. Really, better is be you not angry, but that's how it's in the King James anyway. Be you angry. And sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, even though this is a pretty short and Simple passage, there's not a whole lot to it. Those of us married knows, uh, know that this is not always easy to do. It's not always easy to follow, not to go to bed angry, not to, uh, not to allow a division or strife to continue beyond maybe a day. But Paul says here, be not angry. You know, if we're going to forgive, we must learn to let go of anger, let go of strife, animosity. You know, we can't forgive if we're not willing to do this. If we're unwilling to let go, if we're unwilling to forgive, if we're unwilling to to show that consideration, that long-suffering, we cannot forgive. You know, as believers in the faith, it's so important that we understand this concept. Again, even though we're focused today on marriage, this really applies to any relationship. This applies to a friendship. This can even be applied to maybe even a coworker. It's so important that we understand this concept of forgiveness, of not allowing bitterness to take root. You know, this is why Paul again says here, don't be angry. Don't be angry. Don't go to bed angry. You know, if we have a grievance with our spouse, we should not shut the lights off until we resolve that grievance in some way. Now, I know some people, most people, the majority of people, can't deal with conflict. I mean, for most people, it's like public speaking. They'd rather die than deal with conflict. And uh, I feel kind of blessed because I've never had a major issue with dealing with conflict or speaking. But that's not true for a lot of people. A lot of people, they really struggle with conflict. And they hide, and they will do whatever they can to remove and not to deal with that situation. But listen, listen, in most cases, conflict does not resolve itself. I know some people, they would like to believe that they can go to bed and wake up and all those issues are just gone. And and sometimes it does work that way, depending on what it is. You know, sometimes the best way is just to go to bed and and, uh, forgiveness will occur. But many times this isn't the case. Sometimes we have to deal with that conflict. And again, for a lot of people, this is hard. But, you know, it's for this reason why it's important to develop strategies and ways of dealing with this within our own relationships, our own marriages, You know, when we have some sort of strife, you know, how are we going to deal with that? And everybody's different. Everybody's different. You know, I know for one, for me, I like to resolve conflict very, very quickly. Uh, For Jennifer, she likes to stew on things. (laughs) So we have to uh, find a way to, to mitigate that. 
You know, how do we resolve it quickly and allow your spouse to stew? Or sometimes you have to find a bet- something between those two points. But it is, it's important to develop a strategy and a way of dealing with conflict and strife within a relationship. You know, I believe that conflict resolution is, is one of the hardest things for two reasons. Number one is fear. And number two is pride. Now, fear comes in because we don't know how the person or how the uh, or person is going to react. And we're fearful that they're going to re- respond negatively, that they're going to say something or do something that we're not equipped to really handle. So that's fear. Or pride, or we all understand pride. Pride is the thing that prevents us from admitting fault, admitting wrong, showing that we've done something to offend You know, this is why humility or meekness is so important as a believer. You know, have you ever noticed how often the Bible speaks about humility in a positive way? It is incredible the the many, many references we find to humility, to to meekness. You know, when we think of um, strong leaders, strong leadership qualities, we often think of things like confidence, boldness, assertiveness, decisiveness. And while this is all true, we also know that meekness is a strong, is an attribute of a strong leader, characteristic of a strong leader. You know, for example, we know that Moses was chosen not because of his eloquent speech, his decisiveness, his courage. Moses was chosen because of his humility, because of his Meekness, you know, for a believer, Scripture says that he was more meek than any other man. That's why Yahweh chose Moses. It wasn't because he was well-spoken or charismatic. No, he was very different, but he had the strength Yahweh was concerned about, and that was humility. You know, it takes a lot more strength to show humility than pride. I'm going to say that one more time. I want you to consider those words. It takes a lot more strength to show humility than pride. You know, it's real easy to fly off the handle for many people and just to, to leave and ignore and not deal with the situation. It takes a real man or a w- real woman to, to humble themselves, to admit fault, and to reconcile that relationship. It is a lot harder to show humility than pride. Pride is easy. Now, when speaking about forgiveness, it's also important that we're cognizant of our speech, how we interact, how we say things, what we say. And this is our fifth tip, and uh, that is uh, we should make sure that our speech is edifying and positive. You know, Paul speaks about this in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of you. You see, when we do these things that are that are offensive to our spouse, Scripture says here that we're also grieving the Holy Spirit. We're grieving Yahweh, our Father in heaven, when we do those things that are offensive to to those we love. We grieve not, it says the Holy Spirit, when we do these things, whereby you also sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Yahweh, for Messiah's sake, hath forgiven you. 
You know, for a moment, just consider the peace we would all have if we could follow what we find here in this passage, if we could live by the attributes we find here. Well, let's talk about some of the specific things we find here, some of what Paul says. Paul says here that we should not allow corrupt communication. Corrupt communication. Now, this word corrupt is from the Greek saphros. Saphros. And it literally means rotten that is worthless. The uh, Thayers define saphros as a poor quality, bad, unfit for use, or worthless. Well, let me ask you, as a spouse, are we guilty of saphros? Are we guilty of using language that is offensive, that tears down, that is bad or unfit? You know, as a believer, one of the worst habits we can develop, I believe, is using bad language. We're constantly negative to our spouses or to those we love, especially our spouse. Now, Paul goes on here to say that our speech, what we say, should be edifying. Now, the word edifying, this in the uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon, it says this. Metaphorically, it says it means to act of one who promotes another's growth in wisdom, piety, happiness, or holiness. Now, just think about the definition we find here and ask yourself, does my speech promote these things? When I communicate with my spouse, when I communicate with those in the assembly, when I communicate with people at work, when I communicate to my fellow man, am I promoting growth through wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness? Am I doing this? If the answer is no, then as believers, we're falling short. You know, I've said many times over the years that as a believer, we must do more than keep the Sabbath. We must change who we are on the inside, adopt those characteristics that really exemplify who our Savior was and is. And one way we do that is through relationships. You see, our speech should not tear down but build up. This is what it means to edify. Now let me ask you this, and I really want you to think about it. How often do we criticize versus compliment our spouse? Now just for a moment, consider that. How often do you criticize versus compliment? How often? How often do we do this? Yeah, I know criticism or constructive feedback is needed in a marriage. I would never as a minister say to, uh, to uh, stray away from criticism or stray away from, from uh, constructive feedback. But as couples in the faith, we, we should be complimenting much more than criticizing. And yet I've seen in some marriages within the faith, this is not what you see. It's always, they're, they're always criticizing one another. And there's always strife in that marriage. No, we should be complimenting one another. Now listen, sometimes it's the small compliments that means the most. You know, something that happens in many relationships, relationships is that over time, our spouses, they, they take one another for granted. And I think sometimes we need to, just a uh, realization to consider the value, consider the blessings of our spouse, consider what they mean to us, you know, consider sometimes it's good to, um, even though it's somewhat depressing 
sometimes it's good to ask, you know, what if my spouse wasn't here? You know, how would I respond? How would I feel if something happened to my spouse? Because sometimes we get so caught up day to day, and we get into this vicious routine without ever realizing and asking and recognizing the value of our spouse, the value of our husband, the value of our wife. Now, Paul goes on here to say that we're to remove all bitterness, wrath, anger, evil speaking. The word bitterness comes from the Greek, pikria. In the Greek, it refers to poison or hatred. You know, I believe that just as, uh, of course, poison will kill a person or kill something, bitterness will do the same in relationships. So as we see here from this definition, bitterness will poison our relationships. You know, nothing good comes from bitterness. Nothing good comes from anger. Nothing good comes from evil speaking. So as believers, we should avoid these things. You know, as Paul says here, we're to be kind. We're to be tender-hearted. We're to forgive as Yahweh forgave us. You know, if you want a relationship that's a blessing, we must learn, I believe, to live by all of the attributes we find here. Learn to be, to show respect. Learn to show long-suffering. And again, these tips apply way beyond marriage. Now let's look at one last tip for a healthy marriage, and that is compassion, forgiveness. Compassion and forgiveness. We see an example of this in Proverbs 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19, 11 says, In the RSP, the discretion of a wise man defers his anger. And it is his glory to pass over transgression. The NIV says a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. You know, we see here that when we show patience that we're showing right discretion or wisdom. Now, considering this, what do you believe we convey when we show anger, when we show malice, when we show contention? Well, I believe what we're showing is that we're showing ourselves to be a fool. That's what we're showing. We're not, sh- we're not to show anger, animosity, or strife especially toward our spouse. You know, the answer is, again, pretty, pretty simple. So we find here that there's wisdom in being patient. There's wisdom showing compassion, it says. Now, we also see here that there's glory, it says, in overlooking an offense, overlooking a wrongdoing, overlooking when somebody does something against us. You know, one of the best examples... I believe, of forgiveness. Because we know many people struggle with this. You know, some people really struggle with the forgiveness. And I've seen a lot of um, marriages where they, they never progress because they hold on to this animosity. They hold on to this anger, some, something that happened. And sometimes bad things happen, and sometimes people make some really stupid mistakes. But if we're going to forgive, we must let go of that animosity. We must let go of that anger. That's what forgiveness is. It's letting go of that anger. It's letting go of that animosity. But in Romans 5, verse 8, it says this, But Elohim commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Now, think about the depth of this statement. Think about what Paul is conveying here. Yahweh sacrificed his son to a group of people, to mankind, who were sinners, who were not worthy who were really enemies of his because, again, they were sinners. They were in defiance to his word. But if our Father in heaven can forgive our sins through the sacrifice of his only son, 
I know that as spouses we can forgive one another. You know, remember that forgiveness is not only an attribute that we must exhibit as believers. It is an essential attribute for a healthy marriage. You know, if we don't have compassion to forgive our spouse, then there's no chance of achieving, I believe, shalom or peace within that marriage. It really is important that we understand the power of forgiveness. And there is, by the way, power in forgiveness. You know, so many people, they, they hold on to this, this animosity, these grudges for years and decades. And it doesn't help their marriage. It doesn't help them as a person. And they're, they're never able to move on. Again, if we want that shalom, if we want peace, we have to let go. You know, Paul, and I'm not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 13, he speaks about love there. And he, he defines what love is and what love is not. In one part, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. There's no list to be kept. There's no list that we should be remembering, we should let go. You know, about two weeks from now, roughly, Jennifer and I will be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary, and I feel very blessed to have 20 years with her, and I hope to have many more years with her in a good marriage, a blessed marriage. And, you know, I know being married 20 years, it takes work, and uh, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, I think no matter how long you're married, you, you will continue to struggle here and there. But the secret is to never quit, to never stop, and really to live by the principles we find within Scripture. You know, to be there for one another, to, to show consideration, to show love, to show patience, to show compassion. These are the attributes that will form a great marriage, that will form a happy marriage. To remove the strife, to remove the bitterness. You know, there's just too much bitterness and strife within marriage today. Again, people just refusing to let go of that and moving on. But as believers, we must let go, we must move on. And again, we must, must exhibit those attributes that exemplify our Savior, the fruits of the Spirit, the good things that we find within Yahweh's Word. I want to close now by just reviewing the um, six tips one more time. So tip number one is husbands are commanded to love their wives as Yahshua loved the assembly. Tip number two, husbands are to be supportive financially, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. Number three, as spouses were to show, were not to show bitterness. Instead, we're to be considerate and show mutual respect and reverence. And, you know, I believe that that's both sides. You know, I know some people in the faith, some men, have the opinion that while the wife is to show reverence and respect of them, that, the, that he does not have to show that reverence and respect to her. Where I believe it's important to have mutual love and respect and reverence to both. Number four, we're not to allow anger or strive to take root within our relationships. Number five, we should make sure that our speech is edifying and positive. And number six, we should always show compassion and forgiveness. You know, if we do these things, again, I really believe we're going to have a blessed marriage. We're going to have a healthy marriage. We're going to have a great marriage. But we must learn to adopt and apply these principles. You know, I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. I, I would hope that we would... Consider the tips, consider the words you've heard today to not only um, listen, but really apply them. Ask, you know, am I not doing this? Am I falling short here? And look at ways to improve that. Because listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been married. I can assure you that there's improvements that can't be made. 
You can improve the relationship that you have with your spouse today. You have to find those areas of improvement. So I would encourage everybody to, to consider what's been said, to review each of those tips, and ask, can I improve in one or more? And may Yahweh bless you.